Welcome, everybody, to episode 150 of Fergar and the Freak. I'm your host, the glorious league freak, and today I am joined by rugby league historian, rugby league author, rugby league statistician, and Todd Greenberg's biggest supporter, Andrew Ferguson. Hello, Andrew. How you going there? How's your week been? Mate, it's been entertaining. Yeah, it seems like it. (laughs) I've had a sassy bitch swipe at at, uh, David Warner. Mm -hmm. That was fun. He shaved his Um, head for you. He did, he did. Um, And I did respond by saying thanks, but uh, it's done nothing for me other than reminding me that you still exist. You know, when he shaved his head for you, I decided to eat some biscuits just for you. Because you're on the front lines, man. So just I wanted you to know that, that I was Thanks, thinking man. of you while I ate some biscuits. It's all right. It's anything I can do to help, you know. I probably, um, I probably, some, some, no. I, I probably packed them and so they got delivered to you. <laughs> yeah, about that. Uh, can you, you know, speed it up a little bit? That'd be good. Just saying, you know. Um, sure. The other thing <laughs> was you got into a little bit of a brouhaha on Twitter about the performance of Todd Greenberg as a CEO of the NRL. And this has been, I think this has been brewing with you and me for a while. Um, We've been coming to the point where we've been going to be talking about this, I think, but it sort of, it exploded, I'm willing to say, on Twitter a couple of days ago, 48 hours ago. Yeah, and that's because I decided to pick the, um, how do I say this nicely? the most simplistic, dumbest human within the Daily Telegraph Rugby League echo chamber I possibly could, and that was the Oracle. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was just echoing whatever crap the Daily Telegraph was doing. I mean, he was towing the line lovely. It was lovely to see. He's so loyal. Um, Good boy. Good boy. Now, I've got got his first tweet that he said. Now, I'm going to read it out. Because your reply after that was, was you slammed him, basically. He said, uh, CEOs Gillen McLaughlin and Raylene Castle agreed to a 50% pay cut. Todd Greenberg, who has done a diabolical job managing the NRL's finances, will only take a 25% pay cut. I seriously despise him. He can't survive after 2020. Now, do you want me to read what you said afterwards, or do you want to read it? No, you're ready, because I haven't got my Twitter thing up, so I can't see what I had there. Okay. Your reply was this. How about directing that tirade at clubs who've gone into financial woes only for all and sundry to beg the NRL to bail them out, which they do, and at clubs for demanding a bigger slice of the broadcasting deal? Media blaming Greenberg for everything is diabolical, and you did hashtag toe the line. (laughs) Now, he didn't really like that response, and it took a while he, to reply. Yeah, he he basically replied with something pretty snarky. I I felt, um, and it just kind of, it it kind of descended a little bit from there. But I think what it did is, it it brought everything to a head, and it it made us both want to talk about this on the podcast because we've seen the media bereft of ideas of stories over the last couple of weeks, and they've turned their attention to just attacking the NRL and attacking Todd Greenberg. They don't like Todd Greenberg for whatever reason. Um, where do you think this is coming from? Why do you think, because they, they love Peter Volandis, but they hate Todd Greenberg. Why do you think that is? I think what it is is for the Daily Telegraph. They've hated every boss of the NRL and the New South Wales Rugby League before it. Yeah. And... For me, it's an agenda purely to create news because if, if they're successful with their constant push for it, someone will eventually get sacked and therefore they've got a story to write about. Yeah. There's there's not a single person that works within the Daily Telegraph, I'm convinced, that knows anything about how the game should be run or how any business, any size, is supposed to run. And we saw this week that in spades because none of them knew how to read a balance sheet. Yeah, and though, I mean, the uh, clandestine way 
that the NRL had hidden all its financial details <laughs> by posting them on the website every single year. I mean, that kind of showed all of this stuff up for what it was. It was just bullshit. Um, for me, it, it really angered me. I actually turned on uh, League Now or League... It's not League Live. League Live, I think they call it, on oh, Fox yeah. Sports. And it was the first time I turned it on. And it just happened to be when BJ Leilua was on. And he was talking about the finances of the game, right? Because I, he... I know if I'm going to talk about the finances of a multi-million dollar sporting organisation, I'm going to get the thoughts of any rugby league player. Yeah. Well, as soon as like they were talking about the finances of the game, I thought, I hope they're talking to the West Tigers Centre. And sure enough, they were. So he's there I bet, and he's... I bet you were relieved. I really was. I thought this would clear it up. And in between the arms and ours, he was uh, talking about how he didn't really know what was going on for the most part. And I started tweeting that he should get in touch with the NRL Players Association and get them on the phone and not really have Paul Kent on the phone instead. Um, yes. Because it seems like the media is trying to generate, as you say, they're just generating stories for the sake of generating stories. Meanwhile, what we're seeing is the NRL and the Players Association have worked amazingly well, incredibly well. And we've even seen players coming out and, and having to go at the media saying, you're completely misrepresenting what's going on at our meetings. You're misrepresenting uh, the the general atmosphere of our meetings. I mean, we've seen, um, we, uh, there was one organization and it might've been the Telegraph from memory. They had to basically uh, take down a story because it said that the head of the players association had said one thing and he, he just hadn't, he had to come out straight away and refute that he'd said any of that sort of stuff. And they took it down. Um, so the focus on the game's finances, and it's really weird to be happening now because I'd like to see the the company that was running around six months ago saying, yeah, yeah, we've got like a uh, billion dollars in the bank because we're waiting for if there's a pandemic. We just have that in the bank, you know what I mean? Exactly. The, uh, the thing that's interesting about this story is the way the Telegraph has run it, and this is how they do most stories. Mm -hmm. Instead of explaining the whole picture, that doesn't suit their narrative. And the no. narrative here is Greenberg is shit. And he must go. So they've gone. One of them has gone. Oh, let's go to the NRL website and check out the NRL report and see if we can find anything bad in there. And they've gone to the one part which has got the um, administration costs. And they've gone. Oh wow, it's twenty million dollars. Mm. And then they put it down to let's see how much we can make that out to be per day. Oh, it's mm. a shit ton of money. That must be all Todd Greenberg's salary. Oh, he's horrible. And mm. that's all we'll put out. We're not going to talk about any of the good stuff that's gone on. We're just going to talk about this one thing that's expensive. And this is more evidence of Greenberg being shit. And some of the conversations I've had on Twitter today with some people shows that sadly, this method works. It does, yeah. And I think that, you know, if if you're the CEO of the NRL, and as you said, like, they, that nobody that's ever run the game, basically ever, has been liked by the media. They're always the enemy. There's very few. I mean, you've basically got to die uh, to be thought of as anything good in rugby league as an administrator. Mm -hmm. And... I mean, even when the News Limited lawyer reluctantly took over as the CEO and David Gallup, they didn't like him either. It's like he must have felt really dirty when they attacked him. But, um, but yeah, and, and so you've got the CEO who's the figurehead of the game. He's always the person that's got to come out when there's bad news. He's always the one that's got to cop all of the crap. But then you've also got however many clubs you've got at the time. And right now we've got 16. And all of them want more. It doesn't matter how much they get, they want more. And I think it's important that we talk about that because we're seeing a lot of a lot of uh, propaganda from the club side saying that the NRL isn't running things well, that the NRL is spending too much money, that the clubs should be get, getting more of that money themselves, and they should be, the NRL should be held more accountable. 
But when you turn your attention to the clubs, it's a horror show for the most part. It is. And I mean, we're chatting, chatting about this in the, um, the magnificent episode before this mm. uh, off air. Um, the clubs, there's no excuse for them to, to be running at a loss or even breaking even. They should be making money because the NRL pays the players' salaries and then gives them a massive chunk of money on top of that, separate from that. Mm-hmm. So to give people a bit of, bit of an understanding, in the year before this last TV rights deal came in, which was 2017, the salary cap was at $7 million, and the club grant was $7.2 million on top of that. When the, when the new broadcasting deal came in, the cap went from $7 million to $9.4 million. The club grant went from $7.2 million to $13 million. People want to ask and wonder where all of that money from the broadcasting right goes. Have a look at that. So that's per team. Okay. So in 2020, the salary cap is $9.8 million. That's That's $156.8 million of wages that the NRL pays for every year. And that'll go up every year because that's the salary cap. The club grant, $13 million per club, that's another $208 million on top of that per year. You're looking at $365 million almost that they're shelling out every year just in those two parts, the salary cap and the club grant. The fact that clubs have the, have the fucking nerve and the gall to constantly put their hand out and beg for money when they're getting all that money, what are they doing with it? And this yeah. is the thing that was the, the root of my argument is how can anyone sit there and blame Todd Greenberg for bad management when these clubs get all those expensive players' salaries paid for and another chunk of money bigger than the salary cap to pay for any other staff wages, any other mm-hmm. expenses the club has, and they are still begging for money. Yeah, and they even beyond that, they try and bring into, like, I mean, remember when they wanted a salary cap basically on uh, front office, on not front office staff, but coaching staff, because mm-hmm. they they all felt they were in an arms race, race with each other and they couldn't help themselves unless somebody, you know, stopped them from doing it. Um, and then they wanted a, a cap put on how old you could sign a junior player because they were going out and signing players that were way too young and they were ruining a lot of young footballers by giving them a bunch of money when they were still like 14 years old and stuff like that. And so there's all of these other safety measures that they need applied to themselves because their costs run out of control. But even on top of that, you look at the fact that their biggest expense, which is player salaries at the end of your first grade players is covered. And then they get another basically $3 million on top of that. And then they can sign as many sponsors as they possibly can on their jerseys for their, you know, their stadium, their game day experience and things like that. And then they've got gay takings. And then on top of that, they've got the uh, corporate boxes and stuff, which makes a lot more money for clubs than I think many people realize. And you just you add and you add and you add. And then they turn around and they say, oh, we can't make money. Rugby league clubs don't make money. And it's like, if you can't make money with all of those leg ups you have, you sh- it, it, you're not doing a good enough job. I mean, these are, these are literal walking billboards that have millions of people looking at them every single year. And we've got clubs that can't even get sponsors, major mm. sponsors on their jersey. Like, I don't care what sort of off-field issues you've had. If you can't get a major sponsor on board, your club is poorly run. Fully agree. And this is the problem. There's 16 clubs out there. And what, there was an article what, a year or two ago saying that the NRL expected five to eight of them to turn a profit. It, it's craziness. It's ridiculous. It's absolute craziness. Greenberg cops are shit. And I've got to stress this from the outset. There are things that Greenberg has done that I am really not a fan of. Mm-hmm. But I can't sit there and just say, oh, because he's done one or two things that I don't like or because some dickhead dinosaur at the fucking telegraph thinks that oh he's just shit we're just gonna harangue him for the rest of his life until he gets the ass mm-hmm. that i'm automatically gonna take that 
mindset. I don't. I like to see things with a balanced point of view. I'll hang shit on something when it's wrong. I'll praise it if it's really good. I'll say nothing if I don't give a shit about it. That's how I work. Yeah. Um, so a lot of this hatred that's going on at the moment is how much the administration costs. And in people's minds, they believe that administration is solely wages. Yeah. Yeah. And the way it's being framed, the, yeah. the way it's being framed is that you've basically got a bunch of people working at the NRL in the NRL offices and Todd Greenberg's earning more than all of them. And they're just, it's all going to them. That's the way it's being framed. Yeah. Um, so on the actual NRL report, which you can find for free on the NRL website, um, the last six of them are all there if you want to go through them as well. Um, you go to page what is it, 123, 122, 123. It says on there, administration increased on a like-for-like basis by $1 million, which was 5% up on last year. This increase relates to further investment in IT infrastructure and support, media capability, and new investment in the game footprint strategy, as well as staff wages. Now, one thing that needs to be remembered in all of this is that when the when the independent commission come into being, right, the, and the game got out from under the, the foot of News Limited, there were a lot of things that didn't exist anymore in rugby league. And there were, like, some basic, basic things that didn't exist in rugby league. Like, you didn't have people that were, uh, you know, going around to schools and things like that. We didn't have school programs for rugby league and things like that that were run from head office. So they had to restart a lot of that stuff. And that cost money. And there's so you get development offices and things like that. There's now people that are able to earn a wage doing that. And I think that that gets lost in a lot of this as well. Because, as I said... That they frame it as everybody go that it's everybody that's working in the NRL's head offices in Moore Park, and it's just not always the case, you know. And on on top of that, the NRL has been setting up its its digital online digital presence, and they've been trying to set up so that they can maybe broadcast the game digitally themselves going forward at some point. And the biggest critics of both of these strategies have been media organizations mm-hmm. who who have digital outlets for their own content and who in many cases have their own digital um, TV stations basically and broadcasting units and things like that. Now, of course they don't like what the NRL is doing because the NRL is going direct to the customer and they're cutting out them, which is the middleman, and they're making money out of it. Correct. And that's probably the root of why there's this huge amount of hatred from News Limited especially towards Greenberg because he's going ahead with this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it really is insane. And the, the one thing I want to talk about as well here, mm-hmm. okay, if we're going to judge Todd Greenberg solely on, you know, you know how much money has been spent Right, core expenditure is up 1.5% on last year. That's not that high, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, revenue, so remember that, 1.5% expenditure has gone up by. Revenue is up by 14% on last year. Which is amazing. So for those working at home, that's 12.5% higher than 1.5%. <laughs> that is immensely better it's almost 10 times better than what the bad is yeah and this is not here to to puff up his tires because greenberg is not responsible for all of that you know revenue going up and stuff like that mm-hmm. but at the same time it's hard when you look at the stats and the figures to say he's an atrocious ceo and he should be sacked the numbers yeah. just keep getting better and better and better every year and that's because I'd put it down to the great work David Smith put in before him, setting up proper systems and turning it into a proper business and making it focus on running like a proper business that had run like rugby league in 1962. Yeah, and that sea change that David Smith brought in. And I think one day 
and it's not going to be too long from now, I don't think. People are going to look back and say he wasn't there for long, but his legacy is one of the bigger ones of any administrator we've had for quite some time because he brought in a business mind and he brought in a business outlook on things and he put in place a lot of things that, and I've said this before, there was a little bit of that fat that comes into um, that corporate mindset. And I think that what we're seeing right now with the, the shutdown, some of that will be trimmed finally it'll be gone finally but he changed the mindset he took it out of the chook raffle era and he he changed the mindset at nro headquarters and it's been a change for the better and in a lot of cases there's been clubs that have had to lift their game because the nrl has been so far ahead of them and on the business side of the game that's exactly right um so it's the whole thing's been very irritating trying to explain to people how, yes, there are issues within the game, within mm-hmm. the management, but the biggest issues are not with Todd Greenberg. They're not with a salary cap. They're with clubs not being able to control themselves mm-hmm. and spending money hand over fist. And every time they do it and then they get into financial hardship, the first thing they do is they go to the NRL and say, you need to help us out with a handout. And the NRL goes, fine. And then they choke a big chunk of money out of their bank account to look after these clubs, help them stay on their feet so the fans don't lose their club. And they get up and running again, and then another club does it. And then they get up and running, and then another club does it. And if if Todd Greenberg was to say, no, 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 fuck you. I give you shitloads of money, and you've, you've squandered it. If you die, you die. I don't care. If he was to take that attitude, which is the alternate to what he currently does, which is keep the club alive, mm. do you reckon the fans would love him for that? Of course they fucking wouldn't. They'd be it's after him. They'd be killing him. They would. They would. And we've, look, it's been talked about for a long time now. If a club dies, it dies. It's the Ivan Drago outlook on life. But exactly. no, you know what? It, it just, no one's had the balls to do it. And look, I, I'm the first to say, I don't think Todd Greenberg would do it. And he's proven that. We've seen, and like, I put down a list of, of some of the clubs. Like, we saw the NRL take over the Gold Coast Titans. Mm-hmm. They had to find new owners for them. We saw them take over the Newcastle Knights. They had to find new owners for them. Mm-hmm. You go back to when the Auckland Warriors went broke, They and they in the course of an off-season, they made sure they were still alive. Then you had the St. George Illawarra Dragons that famously had to get a loan off the NRL. You had the Balmain Tigers, half of the joint venture for the West Tigers that had to get a loan. On top of that, these wonderfully run clubs, you had the Melbourne Storm destroying the salary cap. You had the Canterbury Bulldogs destroying the salary cap. You had the Parramatta Eels destroying the salary cap. You had the Cronulla Sharks destroying the salary cap. You had the Manly Seagulls destroying the salary cap. You even had the New Zealand Warriors destroying the salary cap. These clubs cannot help themselves. They are so... It's like the Wild West in clubland. They're so poorly run in so many ways. It's absolutely incredible that any of them would have the gall to point the finger at the NRL and say that the NRL is wasting money. Exactly. And this has been my argument all along is people, I, I bring this up. People say, yeah, but it's the, the NRL runs the game. They don't run the clubs. And if you go around and you constantly sack NRL boss after NRL boss after NRL boss, but you do absolutely nothing to stop the clubs from doing all this stupid shit that they're doing, then all you're doing is the same thing over and over and over again and not stopping the problem. Mm-hmm. So my point all along is sacking Greenberg won't fix the, the issue that the media is talking about or that some of these fans who bought the Telegraph's clickbait garbage. Um, sacking Greenberg doesn't fix anything. No. It just brings no. in another person who allows this shit to keep, to keep happening until the media gets tired of them and they demand him to get sacked. 
and then another person comes in and then they get him sacked. Another person comes in and get him sacked. It just goes on and on and on while the clubs just keep doing whatever the hell they want. And to ramp it up at this point where we've got, I, I dare say it's the most extraordinary moment in rugby league history outside of the Super League war where, you know, the only other thing I could probably think of is when uh, rugby league in France had all of its assets seized. Like, that's the sort of level we're looking at here, mm. where the game is had to basically switch off. Everyone's had to go home and go into isolation. And, I mean, the, like, all of the doomsdays come out and, and, you know, in the media and said, oh, the NRL won't survive this. The NRL's done just fine sorting things out. They've sorted things out today with the uh, Players Association. They come to an agreement with the Players Association. They're looking at plans of getting the competition back up and running within the next couple of months and how they could possibly do that if that's possible to happen. They're also looking at what effects it will have on next year's competition. I mean, they're doing a really, really good job from what I can see in an extraordinary circumstance. To use now as the reason why Todd Greenberg needs to go is absolutely ridiculous. It like nobody was ready for this in sport, in society, in their private lives. It, it, nobody was ready for this. No. How can you be prepared for this? Um, it's just, it's absolutely perverse that people mm. are taking this opportunity when everything is stopped and struggling and bleeding cash and everything else that they think that now is the time to get a, a boss sacked. Yeah. Um, I, there is, there is very little basis in my mind to justify sacking Greenberg. He's done some dumb things, but they're all small fry shit. Like the testimonial match was for Cameron Smith and, you know, uh, Thurston. That was just dumb because, those those two players don't need or deserve to have that money outside the cap. Yeah, they're both probably earning you know over a million dollars at the time a year. Yeah, I don't think they needed an extra ten or twenty grand or whatever the hell it was they gave him. The ring he gave to Cameron Smith's wife that was just stupid, mm. utterly stupid. No yeah. need for that. But it's small fry stuff. This is not costing the game much money. The things that cost it money is when players do something wrong and clubs don't act. Again, another bit of club failure. Yep. But then the NRL doesn't act hard enough. So without going too far off the off what we're talking about here, this week we've seen that the two Bulldogs players, Jaden Ockenbaugh and um, Channel Harris-Tavita, wasn't it? Uh, no, no. Oh, Corey uh, Harris-Runera. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they've both been sacked. Um because they had consensual sex with legal-aged minors, I think is what you call them, whatever the, the media was called, schoolgirls, to make it sound more horrific. Yeah, look, I don't know about uh, uh, CHN. I don't know about him. I didn't look into his into his case too much because I just didn't see much about it. No. But uh, the, the fact uh, is that, that, that's, they got sacked over that. Yeah. And the thing is, they haven't actually broken a law it's just a bad look i don't agree with what they've done i think what they've done was a beyond fucking stupid oh without doubt it's indefensible but they haven't broken a law and so i don't mind if they get stood down and sacked by the club i don't think they should be sacked from the game mm -hmm. but that's for another discussion but the fact is those two got sacked over that where they didn't break a law but lodge got protected like and he was it, allowed to stay on. Russell yeah. Pack was allowed to come back after going to jail. Yeah, and, it doesn't line up. And that's the problem. This is a, this is where I'm very unhappy with Greenberg. I understand that he's change, he's trying to change things to create more consistency with the no-fault stand-down policy. That has flaws in it as well. Yep. But it's a move somewhat in the right direction. But the problem is... It's hard to it's hard to accept any player being sacked down for not breaking the law when you've got players who have broken the law still playing the game. Yeah, it's almost as though you are better off 
I mean, you look at uh, what's the St George player's name? Debellin. Um, Debellin. Jack Debellin. Now he he hasn't played for a year and a half at this point, and he has been charged, but he hasn't been found guilty in the court of law. And look, you know, that's all you can go by is if they get if they get found guilty in the court of law. There are other players who have been found guilty in the court of law for doing other things, and they're back playing. Mm. It's almost as though you're better off being found guilty of certain things rather than being char- just charged with them and we you know we wait for whatever happens. Now I understand why the NRL did that to a certain point, but I also think that there's that unfair sort of balance of like hang on I haven't been proven to have done anything wrong and yet you've got people in the NRL who are registered sex offenders who are running around on our fields. How does that line up? How can that, how can me not having been charged with anything at all be, you know, be what's causing you to supposedly lose all of your sponsorship deals and you fight me in court for it. But then you've got players out there that have literally bashed women and and men and have gone to jail and stuff. They're fine though. It it just doesn't make sense to, I think anyone that's one of the things that I am also critical of him. I'll tell you, the other thing I've been critical of Greenberg, and he's kind of got away from it in recent years, which is a good thing. He he become he started to be he was a politician, and I've called yeah. him that on this podcast. Um, loved the loved the morning tea, like he was the morning tea CEO for a good three years there, where sure any time there was a morning tea, he'd be there. And I think the tokenism to the uh, women in league thing. Which I, I, you know what, I think that a lot of the tokenism stuff with the women in league movement, a lot of that was pushed out of the way by, I think, the women's game. And I think having the women actually playing the game and involved in the game and having a much higher profile, it really made a lot of that frivolous crap that the NRL would carry on with go away. Sometimes it was quite condescending too. Yeah. Very condescending. And look, I, I I talk to a lot of women about it and I ask them their thoughts on it. And I never had one one single woman say to me, yeah, I really like what the NRL is doing. I think it's fantastic. They all felt it was condescending as well and that it was tokenism. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's essentially where the ring for Barbara came from. It, it sort of, it's, it comes off the back of that. It's, because... And this is going to sound bad, but Mm -hmm. she wasn't the one who was on the field playing the 400 games. I know she's looking after, you know, their children and all that other stuff, supporting him. But you know what? There are wives and partners for hundreds, thousands of other players who have played the game over Cameron Smith's entire career who have done exactly the same thing. And none of them got any reward for what they did from the NRL. So it was a tokenistic gesture. And it was all about supporting the woman behind Cameron Smith. And that was wrong. Yeah, uh, like my thought was, that's what the money's for. Yeah. <laughs> like very if, well if paid. Say, yeah, so like say they had they had given them both something. Like say they, they're out there in the field and they said, we'd like to present you both with these commemorative rings or something. I would understand that more than just giving her a ring. And and the reason it stood out for everyone is because it was weird. It was a strange thing. Yeah. I think if they had it just stuck with it, the, because they gave him a commemorative bloody crystal ball or something as well. Just... Just leave it at that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. That would have been fine. So it's... That was the weird thing. The great thing is the women have played the game with, with such such a positive style. And mm-hmm. there's been no tokenism. There have been no agendas there. Thankfully, the media hasn't resorted to, you know, who's the sexiest women player and shit like that out there because that is just condescending as well. Yeah. And... The fans, more than anything, have just lapped it up and said, yeah, we just love watching them play and they know the women's players and they they like the way they play the game and they're treating it with 
full respect and loving it for the game they play, not because they're women or anything like that. There's nothing condescending about it, and that's exactly why I like it. I like watching how fast they play, how clean the ruck is. The game moves end-to-end, side-to-side. It's just magnificent rugby league to watch. It really is, and and I think that's the thing that some of the women's sport leagues that have been set up in recent years, like they, there is a tokenistic element to it. And the the thing about the rugby league players, I mean, I, I personally think it's the best women's sport to watch. And I, you wouldn't think it would be because rugby league can be such a brutal game, but the, the skill level is fantastic. The hits they put on is are fantastic. You can yeah. see some things that are like get you out of your seat in a women's rugby league game. And it, like, there's plenty of other women's sport where you can watch it and you can be like, man, this, this isn't good. You don't feel that way when you're watching a women's rugby league game. You get into it really quickly. Um, and I think the, the fact that the women that play the game, like they just want to play some footy. They don't care about all this other crap. You know, they're, yeah. they're not look out there trying to make statements and, you know, do this and that. They're, they're like, man, we're just happy to be playing footy. We love playing it. And, you know, did you see that massive hit I put on? Like, they're just like any other player. They're just like yeah. any men's player. And exactly. I think that's why it's been so, so fantastic. And I do. I, I think that their attitudes to the game and the way that, that they're just, I mean, it's, they're just other players in the game now. Yeah, I think that's been a, yeah, and I think that that's been massive in getting rid of a, a massive amount of the the tokenism and condescending stuff in regards to the women in league stuff that we have seen previously. It hasn't all gone, but I think a lot of it has gone. Yeah, it's not as um, obvious and a bit put on, I guess, as, as it used to be. It's, it's a lot more genuine, whatever comes up now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you, I mean, we all know what started the push was, uh, and it was literally public relations firms that the NRL had employed when they said, man, we've got a problem with the way that we're seen as a sport and the way that people think that we treat women. What should we do? And literal PR firms said this, you do this, 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 and this, and they did it. You know, um, the best thing they did was have the professional women's league. That's the best thing they did by miles. Yeah, and it was a real thing. It was a, an actual real thing they did because all of the the white ribbon stuff and that didn't matter as soon as you have a Matt Lodge running out there, or you've got like a what's his name that played for North Queensland. He come back during the women in league round. Robert mm. Louis comes back oh. to North Queensland. They blocked me over that. I said it was disgusting. They blocked me on Twitter over that when that happened. Hmm. Unbelievable. Yeah, that was horrible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty good examples where Greenberg has failed in his role. Yeah. But as I said, I'm not sure it's sackable enough. No. And it's not costing the game consistently huge amounts of money. It does cost it money in sponsorship and stuff like that, but not consistently huge amounts of money year on, year out, because at the same time, clubs should be taking more control over their players and what they do, and they should be acting faster on punishing players, and they should be punishing them harder. And this has been a problem that we've had as well, is clubs will hand down a punishment, and the NRL goes, eh, we're going to make it a bit longer, we're going to make it a bit stronger, and they've got to put a bit on top. <laughs> Yeah, and the other thing is too, I mean, the NRL has to stand in and tell clubs, no, you can't sign this player. Or, you know, and it, because if we left it up to clubs, it would be a free-for-all. Mm. Like, you know, as soon as, like, as soon as the NRL says, yeah, you can sign Israel Folau, there's going to be 16 clubs that will have meetings about it. Yeah, it's... um. I think the, the common theme I've got here is that the clubs are hopeless. Pretty and much. And this is the thing, too. We haven't seen too much attack on the clubs who've had their hands out asking for more money or on the players who threatened to strike for more money and more control over the game. Just more attacks on Greenberg. Yeah. Very personalised. And look, a lot of it has to be the fact that 
now that the games aren't being played and we're not able to talk about player movement. And, I mean, the one player movement issue that we did have was uh, Tyson Frizzell, and they tried to bastardise that as much mm. as they could. Um, you know, there's not much for them to write about. And Todd Green, it's it's weird. It's it's like, you know, one, one of them says, I don't think Todd Greenberg's doing a great, great job of this. And they're all like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's all jump into this one. And they all start writing about how Todd Greenberg needs to go. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, it's it's pretty sick. Mm. Um, oh, I'm pretty thorough to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think we've we've covered everything that we wanted to talk about with this, haven't we? Yeah, I'll just add on there that there has been some news tonight, where the NRL has reached an agreement with the RLPA on a pay deal. Um, the plan. This so this is a this is quotes from Todd Greenberg. Um, pay attention there, James Hooper. The players are just finishing now. We're confident over the next hour we will be able to put out a formal announcement and say we've reached an agreement with the players. Within 14 days, we've been able to reset the entire cost base of the game, a task that would ordinarily take months, sometimes years in professional sports. I'm very proud of the way the game has worked together during this extraordinary time. There's significant cuts. They're not discussions to have. Uh, they're not easy discussions to have. There's been a total of just under $25 million that will go to the players, which includes some money that will come from their injury hardship fund. Um, following the comments from Greenberg, Boyd Corden told Foxleave Live that it was pleasing to get some clarification. He said, I think it's going to be really good for the players' headspace. That way they can plan now and move forward to what the future looks like in the next six months. Um Coordinate also confirmed that players would receive two months' worth of pay before forgoing five months' worth if the season didn't return. So that's the deal they've got. It's also worth noting that Todd Greenberg has also taken a pay cut, so it's not like he's just forcing everyone to cut money. He's, he's taken a pay cut as well. Mm-hmm. So the players are going to get paid for the next two months. Obviously, the NRL is going to try and get the game started within that time. If it takes longer than that, then the players will be without pay for the five months after that or until the game starts up again. Now, there's been some talk, and I don't want to talk about the name of the resort because I tend to think that it's just a a marketing stunt myself. But there's been talk that the NRL might look at sending every single player to a resort, have them all stay there and basically play uh, games at the resort or ship the players to Suncorp Stadium uh, and play games there. And the idea is that, you, yeah, keep them all in the one place. They're all clear of COVID-19, hopefully. And that you keep them isolated, but you're still able to play games. Um, I tend to feel like that's a little bit pie in the sky. What do you think about that? I'll be honest, when I saw that story, I genuinely thought it was an April Fool's joke. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know. I've not looked into it any further than that. I just went, oh, this looks like an April Fool's joke. I'm not reading that. And then well, I moved on. I've not looked into it any further than that. I, I can tell you this. When I – there was a former player, and I'm not even going to say his name. I'll tell you after the podcast. There was a former player involved with it, and it was basically plastered with the name of whatever resort it was, and I, I can't even remember the name of the resort. But it just... And they did the rounds. And it felt a little bit like... Um, felt like bloody Harvey Norman talking about how every day they've... We've got a big run on fridges. We've got a big run on freezers. Everyone's, <laughs> it felt a little bit like that, you know? And uh, I've yet to actually hear the NRL say anything publicly about having talks with these people. Uh, it was all very one-sided. They got around. They got their name out there, so good luck to them. But, um, yeah, I, I tend to think that w- with all of this talk about, you know, isolate, it just would take one player to get the sniffles and it's all over. Even That's if right. they don't have, even if they've just got like a, 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 if they've got an allergic reaction, 
to something. As soon as one player gets the sniffles, man, you got to treat all of them like they've got COVID-19 until they can pass all of the tests and things like that. That's a lot of tests to do, by the way. Mm-hmm. You imagine having 400-plus people in the one place uh, and one of them gets a flu-like symptom of any sort and now you've got to source 400 tests out of the national pool of tests we have available. Like, it just seems there's so many reasons I could go through why I think it's ridiculous. The most ridiculous thing of all, okay, and this is one of the myths. I may have mentioned it before. If you mm-hmm. go to the World Health Organization website, they will show it on there that this this virus, it, it does it does exist in warmer climates. And there's this theory going around that it, it doesn't exist in warmer climates. I mean, mm-hmm. parts of Manila are in lockdown. I mean, anyone who's been there will tell you Manila is one of the consistently warmest and most humid places you'll go to. The temperature always sits between 28 and 32 all year round. Mm-hmm. It's always hot there. Um, and the humidity is through the roof. Um if they've got the coronavirus there, and they do, um, then it can exist anywhere, anywhere. The thing I wasn't understanding is that when that talk started surfacing, and I feel like it was about two or three weeks ago now when people started saying, oh, yeah, the warm climate and stuff like that. You know, we had it in Sydney, and it we were getting 30-plus degree days, and I'm thinking to myself, well, we're not exactly shivering here in Sydney right now, and it's spreading here. So I, I never understood that whole, you know, you're, you're bet more uh, less likely to get it in the warmer weather. It just seemed a little bit silly to me. Even now, it's not like we're having cold days in Sydney. No, that's right. Um, yeah, here's some stats. There's been 2,633 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the Philippines and 107 people have died from it there. Man. It's... it's yeah, it's it's silly. It's so silly. So, so people, get it out of your heads that just going to a warmer climate is going to help you avoid it. You can't avoid it. It goes exactly. everywhere. And and I also think that just and just taking four hundred odd people, and that's a low estimate. It's probably five hundred plus. If you because you've got to take trainers, you've got to take coaches. You're going to have to take people to you know. Uh, video the games you're gonna have to take you know the journalists straight away were like oh some of the journalists have to be there um you know just taking all of those people and moving them from all over australia and parts of new zealand now and moving them to one place i mean that's causes its own nightmares in itself it's Mm. kind of silly in itself so i just think it causes more problems than it solves and I think if the NRL really does want to go down the sort of track where it, it decides to play games in one geographic, you might as well just do it in Sydney. Yeah, I agree. I think what they're, what they're going to do is just just wait it out. Yeah, um, it's I, the only I, smart option. Yeah, I, I think that they'll... Look, there's been a, a lot of talk about a nine, we're going to be locked down for the next 90 days or so in New South Wales anyway. Um, I, I think that when you look at the historical rises and falls in, in pandemics and you look at, I mean, we're only just at the start of this one. I keep saying that. But when you look at where we're at right now, mostly in Australia, um, I, I think that they're kind of, got their fingers crossed that after that 90 days we can maybe get back to some resemblance of of what we used to do mm. with our society and with our sport and things like that yeah um one thing that they should remain mindful of based on how quickly the spanish flu moved is not to be complacent during the warmer months of summer and stuff like that because they mm. found that a second wave came through the following year in the winter uh, that was over in europe so um. Yeah, got to be very vigilant. Hopefully, they're working on a antidote or a cure to the thing. Problem is, it's mutating a lot, so it's very tricky. And no, no, we won't go into the, into the coronavirus anymore. No, we've we done it a lot. People feel like death. they need a break. Yeah. 
So there so we go. Anyway, we've, we've given so, yeah. we've given Todd a bit of a uh, you know, a, a bit of uh, what would say let him off the hook a little bit here because I don't think he deserves to cop so much of the um, anger and vitriolic shit that he's getting at the moment. No, no, and I think that when you see somebody in the media saying stuff that seems over the top at the moment, just remember that they they really haven't got anything else at the moment, and they're probably just flapping their lips and hoping that no one taps them on the shoulder and says that, you know, you're surplus to requirements. Yeah, unless it's the Oracle, then, you know, he can go back on his stats and... We can all just wonder where he gets them from. I was going to say his stats. You mean your stats? I, I didn't say that. I did. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for listening. Have we got any shout-outs? Uh, we do actually have uh, a review. Oh, yeah. Tell us the review. We've been sitting on this one for a while, haven't had a chance to read it out. Yeah, yeah. It took a while to come through, actually, too. Yeah. So this is from friend of the show, Carsten Brummer. And he said, two nerds talking footy, a historian and a guy who burned his rod talking all things rugby league. Sometimes they have a really interesting guest on, but they don't publish everything they record for some reason. Cheers. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. All of our all of our podcasts we tend to put to air. I can't think of any that we had to scrap for any reason at all. I believe... It might have been a live show, and we were talking with a German who was talking about going to France, and it got a little bit off. Yeah, off topic. Yeah, yeah, there was. Yeah, but were we, just... we even recording that? I don't know. I, I think remember. I think he's. I think he might be going a bit off half topic. <laughs> also, uh, so well, thank you, Carson, for for doing that review. Hope you're um, isolating over there in Switzerland. Yeah, with your bank accounts and your watches, and yeah, either, well, gold. he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say with his cowboy hat, but we we worked out why you don't have a cowboy hat when you go home. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Anybody that enjoys listening to the podcast, um, go on Apple iTunes and give us a five star rating and. Give us a nice review and we'll read it out. We read out all the reviews. We love the reviews and they really do help us when you give us those five-star ratings. So they, we really appreciate them. I guess the other thing that we've got to do is we had a, a nice chat to to Julie last uh, – was it last night? Yeah, last night. Um, she launched her rugbyleaguemums.com website, which is – go and check that out. And I think from both of us, we just like to say, hey, hey, Julie, hey. So hey, yeah, Julie. how you going, Julie? Hey, hey Julie. Hey. hey, yeah, she likes hey. Yeah, she does. She does. Big fan of it. Um, and she'll yeah, be, that's. I was sorry. gonna say she'll be up at the moment, have a nice, a nice big drink. We won't go into any further than that, but uh, yeah, probably gulping it down, quarts of it. <laughs> anyway, hey, um. Yeah, anything else that we want to plug or say have hello we had, to? Have we had any emails? No. No, I checked. Not one? Not one. Not one person has emailed us. Email us, podcast at com. Hit us with an email. Hit us with a reply to this podcast if you don't agree with us. Like, we'll yeah. read it out. Even if we don't like her, we'll read it out. And furthermore, people, do the trivia things that we did the last two days and tell us your score. Yeah, nobody did them, hey. We created an interactive podcast for you and none of you bastards interacted with us. Yeah. Although (laughs) we've got ideas to do more trivia ones. Let us know if you enjoy the trivia ones. We've got good feedback when we've asked individuals about the trivia episodes. Um, But, yeah, we we don't want to be recording episodes that you go like, oh, man, they're doing another trivia episode. Man, I don't want to listen to this. So let us know. But if you don't tell us, we'll just assume you love it. Yeah, like everything else we do, basically. <laughs> yeah, bear that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on LinkedIn, um, Facebook. Facebook, yeah. 
everywhere else. Yeah, we've got a website, fergonthefreak.com. Yeah. Uh, YouTube, mate, get over there and click on everything and, and like all the buttons and like all the videos and subscribe and all that sort of shit. That'd be fantastic. Tell all your friends to do it as well. Yeah, leave comments. We had one guy for a long time was leaving lots of comments about Wales and, and Welsh yeah. Rugby League players and stuff. We, we just uh, ignored them. Wow, we read them. We didn't. We didn't mention them on the podcast, did we? <laughs> no, no, we didn't mention. Them. We didn't. We didn't want to make him think that he might have been right. Yeah, whether exactly. he, whether he was or not, so relevant. Yeah, um, yeah. We we like to keep this as an echo chamber between us. Exactly. <laughs> um, I did have one thing I was going to bring up, which is completely off topic from everything else we've discussed so far tonight. Okay. Yeah. Chris Radlinski. Ah. Oh. Did you know that he's the greatest fullback to ever come from England? Well, from the UK. I mean, there was a bloke who played over 900 first-grade games and retired at, you know, in his 40s. He played for Wales, England, other nationalities. Um, he's the only full-time fullback in the English Rugby League Hall of Fame. The mm-hmm. only one. And Radlinski's better. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts are all over Twitter. I was yeah. quite pissed off at that news. What are your yeah. thoughts? Well, Chris Radlinski, I, I would say when it comes to the fullbacks I have watched played for England slash Great Britain, Chris Radlinski is probably the best one I have seen. And that's not saying much. <laughs> I would say he is worse in attack than Clint Gutherson by quite some way. And that his redeeming feature was that he wasn't terribly out of place defensively. He was he was a capable defensive fullback. Um, and, and, I mean... Most of them aren't for Great Britain. The vast majority aren't. Would you say that he was better than Sam Tompkins? Uh, well, like um, playing for England? Look, he definitely has had more. He, he had a better international career than Tompkins. But I would say that Tompkins hasn't played enough games. I would say Tompkins is definitely the better attacking player, 100%. But I, I just see him as a as a five eight or a standoff. I, I just never yeah. thought he was an international fullback. Um, Let me try to throw a few more modern day players in there. Okay, because I mean Paul Wellens was another one that I was about jumped. to say Paul Wellens. Yeah, the thing about Paul Wellens is I there's been times where I've been looking at static pictures of him and then realised, no, I'm actually watching a video of this guy run. That's how slow he is. Uh, uh, but yeah, Paul Wellen's terrible. Joe Lydon? No. Nah. No, no. Graham Steadman? No. Um, Gary Connolly? They played him at fullback. Yeah, he's played four tests at fullback. No way. See, I, I, I thought he was a... Once again, a capable centre at his best. It wasn't yeah. a very long, you know, but at his best, he was a capable centre, but that's all I'd, I'd describe him as. Uh, Jonathan Davies also played four tests of fullback. No. no. Um, I, still take Radlinski over all of these players. Johnny Lomax? Oh, definitely over John Lomax, yeah. Paul Laughlin? <laughs> no. Um, Paul Atchison. Oh, no. That's a blast from the past. Lachlan Coote. Hmm. Chris Melling. <sighs> Leon Price. Jason Robinson played one test at fullback. Ooh. Mm. Let's see. I mean, one test isn't enough, right? That, that's for Great Britain, so I haven't looked at the England ones yet. Okay. Let's have a look at England. Jason Robinson was a good winger. I never thought oh, of him as a fullback, though. Phenomenal winger. Okay, let's have a look here. So, we've got uh, Sean Briscoe. No. Uh, Gareth Widdop. 
Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I, yeah, I would take Witt a bit. He's best over Radlinski, yeah. Zach Hardiker? Definitely not. Stephen Ratchford? Definitely not. Chris Ashton? Definitely not. Um, Lee Smith? Oh, jeez. No way. <laughs> Marcus and Hilaire? You know what? No. <laughs> Gary Broadbent? No. Paul Cook? Paul no. Riley? No. Jamie Shaw? No. Paul Sykes? No. Sykes averaged 12 points a game at fullback for England. Yeah, no. Nah. He scored all of those six, uh, 12 points against Wales in one game in 2009. <laughs> That's hilarious. So there you go. So yeah, maybe Whittup should be in there ahead of Redlinski, you reckon? Well, isn't it funny that, like, they just, for some reason, they don't think of Whittup. Yeah. You know? I mean, uh, Radlinski had a very long international career, but it wasn't like he was really one of those players you had to worry about. No. Like, who would be his... Uh, it, like, I just went straight away, like, who's the worst attacking fullback in the NRL? Clint Gutherson, and I would have Gutherson and Radlinski anyway. Easy. Yeah. Easy. Um, so, yeah, the, the reason why I brought that up, obviously, is the International Rugby League decided to run a poll of, I think it's going to be on the greatest players by each, each position, mm. and the only British player they put forward was Chris Radlinski. Not Jim Sullivan, who had a magnificently long career. Mm. Um, I think he retired at the age of 43. Crazy. Still playing Absolute first grade. Crazy. Yeah. Um, 928 first grade games. Almost a 1,000 games, including all of his rep matches. It's incredible. 1,000 games. Doesn't get a fucking mention over Radlinski. I just... Blows my mind, that does. Well, I said on their poll... You don't have to always name a British player. Like, they would be very happy to leave out English players, uh, not English players, like New Zealand players or, you know, Tongan players or whatever. But they, it's like they've always got to name an English player or a British player, and they just don't. It's okay. The thing I find interesting is Sullivan was Welsh, and I'm wondering if they were just being racist against Welsh people. 100%. 100%. They don't like Welsh. Is um, yeah, he was amazing. Mm. Anyway, uh, by the way, uh, the winner of that poll, who was it? It was the Frenchman. Oh, Puigleber. Yep, he won it. Hey, you know what? He I'm, won. I know Clive Churchill was in there, mm-hmm. and he's regarded as Australia's best ever fullback. Um, you know, Slater gets thrown around now as well as with that, but uh, Puigleber. When he came over to Australia, he was Churchill's equal. And that was a massive renaissance period for the French Rugby League when Pigot Burr came to grade because they went through the 50s and the early 60s, often regarded as the most powerful international team in rugby league around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, they got unlucky in a few World Cups, which, saw, which meant that they didn't win any, but, um, man, they were a phenomenal outfit. So probably, I'm not I'm not too upset with him getting that. You know, probably the only equivalent I can think to him is Jason Talmalolo for Tonga. In that you've got this you've got a nation that is producing talent and it's good talent. Like there's no doubt about that. But then you get this transcendent all time great that like Whatever it is about him lifts this nation to being able to beat anyone on their day. Yeah. And, and even if they're playing really well, beat anyone on their day. And he's the only equivalent I can think to him. Um, look, I, I thought the result of the poll, I wasn't, like if it had been Radlinski, I'd have gone into a meltdown that would have probably been a three-hour podcast. Um, I've been all I, over that. Yeah, yeah. You know that one of these polls is going to come out, and it's going to happen eventually. But, uh, but yeah, like when he won it, 
I, I personally believe it's Clive Churchill. Everything I've read about the players, I, I personally believe it's Clive Churchill. And um, but that's I don't mind having different opinions when you're lining him up against somebody that was so transcendent so quickly in the sport and who, you know, even decades after his his death, we still talk about this Frenchman that was just unbelievable. Uh, So, yeah, at least it was a worthy selection and not some of the other ones we've seen in other positions. It was always going to come down to one of those two. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing between them. There really isn't. You could could have picked either one, and I don't think there would have been too many complaints. The only people who would be complaining really about Churchill not getting it is people who just think that because he's so highly revered in Australia that that's why he should be there. But... um. I urge you, if you haven't read anything about Puig or Burr, some of the stories are legendary. Mm. There's like, one where, you know, he just hits a fullback and, you know, some player made a break and run through a few defenders and then just ran off and Puig or Burr just watches him. And some journal asked him afterwards, apparently, you know, all these players are running around and they're going all the way through. You're not even making an effort. Why aren't you trying to tackle him? He says, hmm, my job's to run around and zigzag and step and score tries and kick goals. All those other tall blokes are there to do all the tackling. I don't have to do that. <laughs> There's talk that he used to smoke while taking shots at goal and stuff like that. Yeah, smoking on the field. That's the one that gets me. Uh, I wish that I wish there was video of him smoking on the field or just pictures, you know. That would be great. Uh, just... last, who's the last smoker you can think of in rugby league? I, I, I hope I'm right in saying this. So if I'm wrong, I apologise. But I heard that Cliffy Lyons was a massive smoker. I believe he still is. Jason Moody, I believe, was a smoker. Was Jason Smith a smoker? I feel like he was too. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. No, I don't mean like that. I mean I'm, cigarettes. I'm, I'm still censoring. Yeah, yeah, good, good stuff. Well, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, uh, we should just wrap this up uh, while we're ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just had another idea. I thought I'm not going to say that one either. No, no. We'll, we'll just uh. We, we might just wrap this one up, eh? What do you reckon? Yeah, yeah, it's a good episode. I'm glad we, we got the chance to talk about this. And, uh, yeah, we've got plenty of content coming up. Yeah, don't you worry about that. Yeah. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you next time.